I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask Him, He will deliver. Make up my troubles quickly an end. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Oh, how the world to evil allures me, oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, and he will help me over the world, the victory to win. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I like that song because it used the word Jesus a lot. You like that? I like that one. Amen. That song says, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Boy, that's a good course too, isn't it? Yep, amen. All right, let's take our Bibles today and, well... Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy. We'll go ahead and kind of read here in just a few moments, but let's go ahead and kick things off just a little bit. I'll tell you what, let's uh, go ahead and read that. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 today. We're not going to get to that. We're going to get through verse 1, but we're going to read that today if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're getting nervous. You think seven verses, the way we've been traveling through this book, it might take us about three and a half hours. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're only going to hit one today and hit it quick. So listen fast. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. 
For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Again, we've been dealing with the book of Timothy for some time, and of course, next week we're going to have Brother Moon, he'll be preaching on a Wednesday night, and then... Following that, of course, we have Brother Mark's going to be continuing in his creation study. And so two weeks from tonight, uh, Brother Mark's going to kick, jump right back in to that um, evolution versus creation thing and uh, creation, creation versus evolution. I want to get it right because we, we want to put creation first any time and every time, right? But uh, nonetheless, he's going to be starting back on that. And again, he's already spoke four weeks on it. He's got another four weeks with it. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Not next Wednesday. Of course, we'll be here for Brother Moon, but the following week for Brother Mark. And I'm looking forward to that again. And so we're going to be putting this study on hold a while. But tonight, I want to begin in chapter 4, verse 1. And so again, we're dealing with Timothy. And we, we know about Timothy a little bit. Can somebody tell me one thing about Timothy, about his, his uh, parents. Can somebody tell me something about his parents tonight? In the back. His parents were very godly. His mother was very godly. Yes. And his daddy was what? He wasn't saved. He was a Gentile. That's correct. And so uh, we, we note that his daddy was a Gentile and his mama was a believer. A believer. His grandma was as well. And um, <clears throat> we note that Paul the Apostle influenced his ministry greatly. And again, it's, it's, very, it's, probably, it's, it's probable, likely, that he was the one that led Timothy to Christ. If not, he still took the place of a spiritual father to him and he mentored him and he molded him and he helped him as he went and grew into the kind of man that he was, a spiritual man that he was. And ultimately, we know that he would become very instrumental in, the, in, in Timothy's life when he begins to pastor because we know that the Apostle Paul ultimately sends him to Ephesus there to pastor the church. Now, again... Early on in the letter, we're made keenly aware that the Apostle Paul is very concerned about the doctrinal purity of that church. And uh, he sent Timothy there. And he sent him there for the express purpose of exposing and even extinguishing this apostasy that had risen, this, this doctrinal issues that had started to kind of take root in the church. And um, there were Judaizers in the church. And there were those that were misapplying the law. And so the Apostle Paul was concerned about the direction of the church. We, we note that the, the church at Ephesus, based on chapter 3 of Revelation, was a church that, I mean, probably in our day and age, from the way we would view it and see it, they were, I mean, a, the best church you could possibly be in. I mean, it was an amazing church. There was nothing negative that, the, that he really said about them, with the exception of that, that they, they ultimately left their first love, he says. And, and that's a problem. And again, that has to do or directly deals with their relationship with the Lord. And that, obviously, we can be doing the work of God and we can be losing sight of the one we're doing the work for. And so we have to be so careful with that. And the Apostle Paul acknowledged and recognized the needs there. And so, as a pastor, he sends Timothy now, and Timothy there, pastoring that church, recognizes the spiritual condition of the people. He, he's responsible for the spiritual condition of the people. He's responsible for the climate of the church. And um, sadly, there were those that had put away or thrust away the faith. As we're going to note a little bit here in verse 
1 of chapter 4 as well, but it says, some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So there were those that literally had thrust away the, the word of God, had thrust away the faith, that body of belief that we believe, the, the faith itself. And so what we have here is what would be called apostasy taking place. And so now Timothy here, he's being instructed by the Apostle Paul. Why? Because the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to, to be the kind of man of God and the preacher that, he, that will ultimately lead this church to victory. And, and he doesn't want to see any of the people that he's invested in, and, the, and, and he doesn't want to see any of those that he'd led to Christ while he was on his journeys uh, fall by the wayside. He wants them all to start their relationship with God well, start their journey and their race with God strong, but he also wants them to continue strong and finish strong. And so we note that Timothy being young would ultimately prove himself and would do a good job and he would accomplish his calling in Ephesus. He would stand against the wolves who sought to devour the faith of so many. He would go on to expose those and that would, would introduce heresies and apostasy and he would even at some point excommunicate them if need be and did in some cases. Now he wouldn't, he would ultimately be a blessing to the people of God and he would bring about the kind of church and produce the kind of church that God would be pleased with. Now, in our last lesson, we began our final section of the book of 1 Timothy. We said there were two sections. The last section is how to become an effective Christian. How to become an effective Christian. And um, that section began with chapter 3, verse 16. And of course, in chapter 3, verse 16, we read, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And we spent the service expressing and explaining that passage and putting it into context. And again, in the verse, what we basically said was that Paul summarized the essential elements of the faith. He summarized what the church's responsibility was to uphold. As a custodian, the church has a responsibility to, 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 to care for the, the Word of God and to ensure that it is held up and, and that that, uh, that pillar and ground of the truth, that, that the church being the pillar and ground of the, the truth, that it, it is to hold it up and it's to, to, to secure it and keep it safe. And so we, we see that taking place as we move on into 1 Timothy now, chapter 4. We're going to recognize that there's some real problems here. And that he's addressing those issues because he wants them to be the kind of believers they ought to be. But there are forces, there are winds of change, and there are winds of, of, of um, seduction that's, that are going to tempt the people of God to abandon the faith even. And so that's where we kind of kick off then. Because 1 Timothy chapter 4, it seems that heresy had crept into the church. And it almost seems that way because of 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. He took the time to go there and kind of affirm or reaffirm the faith, to kind of capsulize the faith now, to kind of say, this is what it's all about, that we serve a, a God, yes, but we serve Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh, that he, he wasn't just a mere man, and he begins to share the, the reality of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, some heresy had crept in, Gnostic heresy, and... Um, it had raised its ugly head and ultimately would go on to really consume many people. The Gnostics, they denied that God had manifested himself in the flesh. They didn't believe that. They said that his body was a spirit or a delusion. That, that it was composed maybe of some kind of heavenly substance. 
But it wasn't flesh and blood like we're flesh and blood. All Gnostics attacked the Godhead itself. They, 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 did, they said Jesus is not God. And um, they basically tried to say that he was somewhat of an inferior deity or some kind of angelic being, if you will. Some Gnostics held the position that Jesus was just an ordinary human who, when he was baptized, received the spirit of the Christ when it descended upon him in baptism. So he's just a man, but now he's, he's basically not filled with, as we would understand, Holy Spirit filling, but he's taken possession of by this, the Christ. So now he's no longer named Jesus, but he's Jesus, the Christ now. The, this is the kind of heresy that had crept into the church, even in Ephesus in that day. A church, a fine church, mind you. Probably the strongest church uh, that there was and one might say, well, Jerusalem, but that's possible. But as far as New Testament churches, we see Antioch as a tremendous example of the church, early church. But also Ephesus was a very strong and solid church. And yet here we have these Gnostic heresies and these Gnostics uh, coming through and distorting the truth of God and basically lying about the truth, not holding to the truth. So Paul, therefore, he urges the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Turn there if you would. Look what he tells them to do. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Notice what the Apostle Paul urges these Ephesian elders to do. We're going to see that he reminds them of the reality of both the deity and humanity of Jesus. And he also reminds them of his atoning death on Calvary. Notice he says, Feed the church of God, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28 which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now you say, what's significant about that? Once again, you've got to have a body to bleed. So Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood you and I, the church. He's a, a person. He's real. He's legit. He's a human being. But he wasn't just a man. We know him to be God-man according to 1 Timothy 3.16. So that's what Paul does now. In 1 Timothy, he capsulizes this truth. Why? Because he knows there's a, an attack on this truth. And so before he begins to deal with the people and their relationship with God and their future with the Lord, he says, well, there's one thing we better get settled right now, is that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he made that very clear. And then... Once he capsulizes this great truth that the church is to uphold, he then immediately points out that there's going to be a battle to fight, and unfortunately, there's going to be some casualties along the way. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the last times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but when I first read that passage, I, it kind of just, I read it. I, I just read it. You know, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Then in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But after focusing on this for some time, it seems to me that this verse, it just kind of stands out to me as a very, a very dark passage almost. It bothers me a little bit. When I, when I hear the words, 
seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable almost. Now, it didn't make me feel that way when I first read it. But as I've been reading it over and over and over again, as I've been trying to understand some of these words that are included, I'm going to share some of those words and the meanings of those words. Boy, I tell you what, it's amazing here what we're going to see from the passage and how important it is to be very aware of this reality, that the church is very susceptible to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So, from the passage, we're to understand here that the apostasy that was already taking root during the apostolic times, the time in which Timothy lived, and the time that Paul the Apostle, along with the other apostles, lived, this apostasy was already taking root. And according to the passage, it's going to reach its final development in the end times. So let's take a moment and consider this passage. And we'll see what God has for us. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We need you, and we're praying for your leadership and love tonight. Father, we just have a short time. Bless us in this time. We'll give you the glory for it. Holy Spirit work. In Christ's name, amen. Notice here, Paul prophesied, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now, that word translated expressly, it occurs in the New Testament. Uh, it occurs only here in the New Testament, too, by the way. And um, it literally means in specific terms. What he's basically saying is that we're being told that the Holy Spirit is going to speak specifically concerning those end time prophecies. Very specific. He's not going to speak in vague terms or symbolic language. He's going to make it very plain. He's going to be very forward. Now listen, if you talk to anybody that deals with prophecy a lot of times, it almost seems like there's always this shroud of secrecy around it. Like there's this kind of thing where, you know, well, we just can't know what it is. It's just so such mystery and it's so difficult to understand. Let me tell you, sometimes prophecy, in many cases, in this particular case, he's saying, I want you to know exactly what you're going to be facing when you come to those days. I want you to be very aware. I don't want to put a, a, a you know, a, a sheet in front of it and you try to look through the sheet. No, I want to uncover it. I want you to see it very plainly and clearly. And I want you to know what you're going to be up against. We note that word ladder. It's not talking about that which you climb up to fix the roof. It refers to that which comes after ladder. That which comes after. So what we're to understand is that the warning applies to today, yes. I mean, to, to the day there in which they were dealing with it. It was there in that day. And so it was a day that was, was taking root. But then he goes, the latter days, it's going to get worse. When we pass off the scene as apostles, when we leave this world, when God takes us home, that's when we're going to really see this begin to take shape and take form. But then, not only that, but he goes on to basically say, in those latter days, those days that God has specified, those days that God has put on his calendar, he wants you to understand, before the day of the Lord, before Jesus Christ really returns even, the day of Christ, he says, listen, I want you to understand... Those latter days, those latter times, there's going to be real problems. There's going to be people departing from the faith. And so he's dealing with the time, yes, when the apostles passed off the scene here, but he's also dealing with this day 2,000 years ahead that we now live in, those latter times. The word translated depart here, it means literally to apostatize. 
I want you to see real quick in the passage what these will depart from. Notice it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Isn't that something? They're departing from the faith. Now that's called apostasy. See, the faith is that body of Christian doctrine that Paul capsulized in chapter 3, verse 16. You know, we know that, that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that God literally died on Calvary. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He ultimately shed His precious blood. He died, was buried, and rose again and, and extends to us His grace and His mercy, His love, and His forgiveness we understand this doctrine. It's capsulized for us in chapter 3, verse 16, but it's explained to us throughout the Word of God, and that is the very faith that they're departing from. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the, the basically the very foundation of, the, the, of, of this, these truths that we hold near and dear to our heart. Take Jesus Christ and make Him a mere man. We have nothing and no one to lean on. And so now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Isn't that something? So the passage in itself kicks off by saying it's focusing. This passage, Timothy, I'm writing to you. And I want us to understand what the emphasis I'm trying to get across to you is, what the importance of this is, is that, that there's going to be an abandonment of the faith in the end times. And that departure or that apostasy is going to take place before the rapture of the church. And it is simply going to pave the way for Antichrist. It's going to set the stage for him. Isn't that funny when you think about it? What we're dealing with are people in the church that are going to ultimately pave the way for the Antichrist. Then. That's, that's kind of alarming, don't you think? Notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, we have some greater insight into this. Because again, we see that this apostasy or this departure of the faith it's going to take place before the rapture and it's going to pave the way, as we said, for the coming of Antichrist. Notice what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 now. <clears throat> Paul writing to the church Thessalonica says, Let no man deceive you, chapter 2, verse 3, 2 Thessalonians. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Those who abandon the faith or promote apostasy in our day, as it says, will also pave the way for what is called ultimately a strong delusion. They'll provide the means and the opportunity for what's called a strong delusion. You're in 2 Thessalonians already. Look back a couple verses, verse 11. So it says in verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, excuse me, ahead to verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 
That's interesting too, isn't it? God's going to send this strong delusion. Do you realize what really we're getting at and what's really being said a little bit is this? It's that you can go ahead and ultimately reject God-given truth enough to where ultimately God says, fine, I'll allow you to believe a lie. I'll even send the delusion. You want to diss me? You want to disrespect me? You want to put me on the back burner? You want to disregard me and my word long enough? You just want to act like I don't exist? And you want to depart from the very faith that you said you once believed and received and accepted and put your faith and trust in? Then guess what? I'll send the strong delusion. We don't preach much like that anymore. You know, and I'm all for, and I believe with all my heart that we serve a God of second chances. But I'm going to tell you something. I run into people every day of my life, it seems, anymore, or at least quite often, that have gone so far down the path of sin that there is almost, in my, from my perspective, and based on their blown minds, that they are to the point of no return. I mean, they can't even think straight anymore. They've blown their minds out with drugs and alcohol and immorality and they've gotten diseases and all kinds of issues as a result of their bad lifestyle and then they sit there and they, they can't even function, let alone truly consider and think of the things of God. And I think sometimes that we take bring ourselves to a place where ultimately God says, fine, you want to reject me? You want to fall into apostasy? You want to continue in that direction? And you only want to uh, perpetuate uh, the doctrine of devils and demons, then guess what? I'll send the strong delusion. You'll believe the lie. It's dangerous to mess around with sin and to mess around with Satan and his ideology and philosophies and theology because Satan does have his own theology. Sadly enough, as Christians... When we think we know better than what God's Word says, we are only adopting His theology. His. I don't believe that's... I don't agree with that. What's it say? I know what it says. I don't like it and I, don't, I won't do that. We have adopted His theology. Alarmingly, those who believe a lie then will be people, the Bible teaches, that have known the truth. They've even professed the faith, but they have deliberately abandoned it. Look at chapter 2, verse 10, the second half of that verse now in the same chapter. It says, because they received not the what? Love of the truth. Then say they didn't have the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. That's pretty sad. Yes, sir. Amen. Right. Yeah, that's kind of scary, really, isn't it? Yes, sir. Now, listen, I'm not saying, I mean, if you're saved, you're saved. I understand that. But what's going on here? I mean, so you mean there's a difference between knowing truth and loving truth? Amen. So there's a difference between knowing my wife and loving my wife. There's a difference between knowing my job and loving my job. You know what the difference is when you love something? You sacrifice for it. You give your all to it. You withhold nothing when you truly love it. You got to wonder what's going on with the church today in America. We have so much truth at our 
disposal and right at our fingertips through the internet and through books, videos, tapes, seminars, workshops, services abounding. And yet it seems sometimes we don't sacrifice a whole lot for it. Maybe we don't love the truth like we think we do. And you know what? That's only a precursor to what then? Apostasy. Delusion. The apostle gives us a few examples of this reality in the lives of a couple of men. He gives us the example of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus and Alexander were two prominent men in the church at Ephesus. I mean, they were prominent. These were big-name guys. I mean, they were somebodies in the church. They, I mean, we have no reason to believe they were not Christians. They, were not, they had never been saved. We, we, I mean, I have no reason to believe that. I mean, I've known believers that, uh, from the Word of God, it sounds like believers are basically capable of doing anything an unsaved person is. It sounds that way to me. So, I have no reason to believe that they were Christians, but these particular men became seriously sidetracked by the enemy. They had taken in and eventually propagated and promoted false teaching even. They'd received it, they accepted it, and then they began to promote it in the, amongst the people of the church even. It'd be kind of like this. It'd be kind of like somebody comes into our church and they get fired up and get saved and or, or maybe they come and join our church from out of state or something, and, and all of a sudden they get plugged into the ministry here, and down the road they're invited to teach in a Sunday school. They show an interest in it. They plug in their thing. They, 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 we say, man, we, we appreciate your interest in this. We're going to go ahead and run a background check on you. We're going to go ahead and uh, look, you know, make sure we're looking at your life. You've been faithful to all the services. You're, you're out soul winning. You're consistent in your Christian life outside the church. Man, I'll tell you what, you would make a great teacher. We're so glad you show an interest in wanting to teach at Community Baptist Temple. You're exactly what God wants for us and what we're looking for. And so we then go ahead and assign them a class and they ultimately begin to work with one of our teachers and sit underneath one of our teachers and see how we do things because we like things to be done decently and in order here. And so they begin to figure it all out and they get on the program and the teacher says, man, that helper is awesome. Matter of fact, they don't just come to church. They get involved. They ask me if they can, I can do something in the classroom. They're anxious to visit a kid if I need a help visiting children. Man, they are on top of this thing. They show promise, and they are connected, and they are plugged in. Man, awesome. And we say, praise the Lord. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity arises where we need to split a class, and we say, would you be interested in taking the class? And they go, yes, indeed. I always wanted to have my own class. I've been feeling like the last six months, God's been working on my heart. Man, I'll tell you what, the last six months I've been helping in Sunday school, I kept thinking, if God, if you just give me my class, I would give my 100%. I'd give my all. I wouldn't just study on Saturday night before the lesson. Man, I would study throughout the week. I'd pour my heart into that. I'd pour my heart into my kids. I'd pray for them every day, and I would visit them when they're needed, and I'd encourage them as much as I could. Uh, yeah, I'll take that job. Praise the Lord. They get plugged in. Man, they're doing a great job, a bang-up job. For two, three, four, five years, they're tearing it up. God's blessing their class. They're going out and finding kids. If they have to, they pick them up in their own car and bring them in. I mean, they're just the kind of teacher that everybody says, man, I don't understand how their class goes and mine doesn't. And we go, man, they're the best. They're awesome. Everybody goes, man, they're great. That person's so kind and considerate. They give themselves a ministry. They're awesome. Man, I'll tell you what, I I, want to be more like them even.
And then one day it gets back to the pastor that every once in a while they're throwing in an NIV version in class. And it uh, gets back that they've been going around telling some people that they don't think the King James Bible is really inspired. And I say, that's impossible. I mean, they're plugged in, man. They love the Lord. It's obvious. And they're, they're going strong. Yeah, but preacher, I'm telling you, they, they sat down and talked to me about it. Well, I don't get that. I'm going to have to talk to them. I go and talk to them. And I start to say to them, I say, now listen, you know, uh, I'm just kind of curious. I heard that, you know, you've been kind of, kind of promoting the, uh, another version. And, and you're telling people that the Bible that we've, that, 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 that God's Word, the King James Bible, the one that we promote from the pulpit, the one that we share with our children, the one we share in our, our main services, the one that we say, uh, I say that we only study from, that this, this ministry is only supporting the one Bible. And, and I, I'm not understanding this. And, and I'm hearing that not only do you from time to time maybe insert a verse, verse or two to the kids, but you also have gone to some of the people in the church and are trying to tell them that what we teach and what we believe and what we've started the church on and continued the church on and expect to continue into the future with is not God's word like it ought to be. That it has error in it. And that the NIV is a better Bible or the NASV or the ESW or the B-I-B-L-E, whatever thing, numbers they want to talk about, the, you know, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I don't know, but... And then they say, but, but, but preacher, it's... I, I'm just convinced... I've been reading and I got on the internet and I looked and read some great men and great women and I've been reading and I've got some enlightenment and I just believe that this is not the only Bible that we can use. There's a number of Bibles and it's, it's more difficult to understand and it's just, I just think that this is simpler and for the kids it's especially easier and, and, and for some of these adults and parents, I don't think it's right to tell them there's only one Bible. I think they're all equally the same and it's just what you prefer and what's best for you. Okay. I hear you, but, but we've, we understand that the Word of God is pure and it's holy and it's without error. It's like Jesus Christ according to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God cre- uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And ultimately, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means that Jesus Christ, is He perfect? Yes. That means, therefore, that the Word of God has to be perfect. Let me ask you, do you believe your NIV Bible is perfect? No, I don't believe any Bible is. Well, I do. I believe the King James is. And all I'm saying today is, is that you can't do that. That's wrong. I want to encourage you. Let's do some Bible study. I'll sit down with you. I'll give you some even more information. I know you went through that in your discipleship class. And I know we talked about that. But maybe we need a little bit more... Uh, Training, maybe we just need to encourage you a little bit more in those things. And maybe you've gotten some bad information. Obviously, you have. And they say, nope, this is where I stand, and I'm going to continue on this. I, this is where I stand now. I've come to this conclusion, and this is where I believe, and this is what I'm going to do. And I say, well, if you're going to do that, you can't teach here. You kicking me out? No, I'm not kicking you out. I'm telling you, that unless you can get this issue straightened out, unless you will commit to working with me and working through this together, that you're telling me by the fact that you won't comply with our requirements that you don't want to be a teacher at Community Baptist Temple. Well, I don't think that's right. I think I have every... Are you the only one that hears from God? That was a good one, wasn't it? That one always works in the minds of those people that think they're right. 
And I say, I don't believe that. However, here's what I do know. God put me here as pastor, and I'm responsible to oversee the church. That's what I know. And, and I want to protect as many as I can. And I believe what you're peddling is apostasy and false doctrine. Now, there comes a point, folks, if that continues in this ministry and it starts to affect the people in our church, we may have a Hymenius and Alexander problem. And what ultimately happens is that they're turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. They're church disciplined because they won't stop peddling their heresy and apostasy. And ultimately, look, if you will, at 1 Timothy 1.19. Notice what they essentially accomplished through their apostasy and their false teaching. Notice what happens here. It says in 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Boy, not only, it appears to me almost that the faith of others as well as their own faith has been shipwrecked here in many cases. It's characterized by that term, shipwreck. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word shipwreck, there's a vivid image that pops into my mind. And that's exactly what the apostle wants to accomplish. He's trying to paint a picture in our mind concerning those who abandon the faith and deliberately disregard their walk with God and ultimately begin to even influence others in this false teaching and apostasy. It basically says their lives, it pictures their lives as being shattered and broken vessels, confined to and tormented by the rocky shores. I mean, you think about that. They, they can't fulfill their purpose anymore. The purpose for which they were created. A ship that's stuck on the shore, rocking in the waves and the wind, broken in two and battered in pieces as a result of shipwreck, can't do what it was intended to do. And unfortunately, that ship simply exists amidst the wind and waves of life like this one that shipwrecked the faith. Let me say that that's exactly how you and I are when we buy into false doctrine. We become shipwrecked of faith. Our faith is broken, shattered, wrecked. It's made shipwreck. And we can no longer fulfill the purpose that God intended us to fulfill. This is a long verse, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm going to stop right there, but God help us to be very careful with this book, the Word of God. You know, they didn't have this whole book in those days. See, we have an advantage they didn't have. You know, we look at them and say, wow, man, those guys, that church was this or that church was that, or they may have messed up here or messed up there, but... Do you know what we have that they don't, didn't have? A completed word. I mean, we, we've got it. It's all written and it's between the, the covers of this book we call Bible. It's the word of God. 
See, there's no excuse for us to be shipwrecked. None whatsoever. We don't just have an apostle somewhere over in some other island or some other neck of the woods or some other continent even writing letters and notes saying to us, guess what? You need to stay faithful. Guess what? You need to adhere to the word of God. Guess what? You need to continue in the path that I shared with you the last time I was there. No, he says today, child of God, all you have to do is read my word. It's been preserved for you. What are you going to do with it? What will you do with it? Let's make sure that we don't disregard it. That ultimately we don't depart from it. Because when we depart from the Word of God, we're moving in the direction of apostasy. Rejecting the faith. In our passage in Peter, 2 Peter, what's he say? There comes a point in the life of a man or woman who fails to what? Add to their faith that they forget that they were even purged from their old sins. Man, they, they drift away. They, they, they get to the place where faith doesn't even exist in their life. I, they forget that they're even saved. You know what? That can happen to any one of us then. When we disregard the Word of God or if we kind of put it on the shelf or if we say it's not that important today and let's be careful because one step leads to another. God help us to hold the book near and dear and to keep the author of the book alive in our hearts and minds every day that we don't become shipwrecked Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for...